Hey, Jesse Paul Smith here, My Creative District Podcast. Super excited for this episode. I sit down with my friend, Monique. Uh, this lady is a boss. She's the president of BNC Speakers. She's an investor. She's got her hands in a bunch of other things, one in which is the Collision Drumstick Company, the largest drumstick company over in the UK and in Europe. She represents one of the top 50 speakers in the entire world. She's also helping uh, a bunch of pro athletes, Hall of Famers, champions, executives, CEOs, you name it. We talk about how to really identify what activities you need to be focused on to get you the biggest ROI, even if you are a startup brand. If you don't have a huge platform yet, you're just passionate about your creativity, whether it's dance, music, uh, you know, writing, acting, you name it. These principles she talks about will help you understand what things you need to focus on on a day-to-day basis to get you the results you want. And one of the things we talk about is this principle of standards versus feelings and why focusing on your standards instead of your feelings are what's going to lead you to success. We're going to get right to it. Let's get it. Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast, where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Well, I'm super excited to welcome to the My Creative District podcast show my friend Monique. Welcome, Monique. So good to have you. Yay, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I, uh, you know, when you and I met on Clubhouse, uh, this was, man, this was back in like probably January, February yeah. timeframe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I knew that I wanted to get you on. So I, I'm super excited that we were able to make this happen. And, uh, and I know right now you are actually hanging out across the pond because you split your time between Denver and and the UK. So uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I'm super excited because I know that, you know, um, you've got you've got a background in a, a bunch of various different things. But I know one of the things that you do help with is, you know, you are a consultant, you help you know, companies scale and you help them with their marketing, you help them with, uh, you know, their sales, their organization, all that kind of stuff. But you also been helping a uh, drumstick company turn into the largest drumstick company, not only in the UK, but in the entire, all of Europe. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about that uh, and, and get into that. But I know that that's not where the journey started. So you're wildly successful in entrepreneurship, but where did you catch that entrepreneurship bug? Was that something that your folks did? Was it something that you saw early on growing up? How did you catch that that bug? 
Yeah, totally. So I feel like it's always been something that's been inside of me. And, you know, obviously, so I come from like an immigrant family and what do immigrant families want you to do? They want you to work hard. So I did exactly that, worked hard, got a good degree, got a good job. But then even like the career field that I was in, I was in finance. I had my own financial planning and advising practice. It was still like commissions only. <laughs> so it was still kind of like entrepreneurial where, you know, you didn't really get a base or anything like that too. And I remember my family kind of questioning me like, oh, you should try to get something that's more steady. And I'm just like, I don't know. And I think what happened was when I was doing the whole Wall Street thing, um, I was getting paid the same amount as my peers. And I was doing the, like, I was, I feel like I was doing twice as hard work as they were. And we were getting paid the same amount. And I was like, this isn't fair. Like, how am I the one like ha having to bust my butt? And they're still getting paid the same amount for me. So that's, I think, why I always wanted to choose something that was, I was going to get paid based upon my results, not just for my time. And that's why I was going into more of like the commission only jobs. But then one day in finance, Finance. I swear we were celebrating one of my coworkers like 50th anniversary at the firm we were having cake and then all of a sudden I couldn't breathe and it was like a movie moment where I'm just like oh I don't know if this is for me I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life so that's when I realized like okay I think I need to figure out like what I want to do I don't think it's going to be in finance forever but that's where I kind of jumped off and tried starting my own business doing like the whole entrepreneurial thing but learned a lot of lessons through this whole journey <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it's definitely the lessons never stop coming. Right. Uh, it's, it's always, you know, one lesson after another. And when you get over one lesson, you're like, all right, I'm finally good. This, the next one always seems to meet you right at the doorstep. But, you know, I, I know that some of my guests would be listening and be like, well, okay, so you did finance. How does this kind of relative to these creatives and stuff, but you have a creative background and the fact that uh, not only were you, learning entrepreneurship, maybe a little younger, starting your first business at 16, right? We'll talk a little bit about that, but you've got some dancing in your background. So where, do, where did the dancing come into play? Yes. Oh my gosh. So that was in college. So I was actually president of Pioneer Breakers at Denver University. And I actually used to teach and nobody ever believes me until I, until I pull up pictures and videos. And I'm like, look, this is me. I used to do this. <laughs> um, and it was just like so much fun. And, that, you know, I always felt like, you know, I always wanted to also like, you know, be in a position of leadership because I can also help teach and um, impact and inspire. So there was a lot of newbies that always rolled through and they were just like, you know, how do you, how do you do it? Cause everyone is always so intimidated going to their first dance class. Right. And I always wanted to try to break it down and make it easy for people. Cause I'm like, look, I, I, I you know, I definitely didn't start out this way. Like, you know, you have to kind of put in the foundations first. So that was all in college and um, it was a really great way to like, you know, make friends and create some of those relationships too. Now, one of the things that I, I, I know that you talk a lot about is, you know, the fact that you do come from an immigrant family, you know, the, the cards weren't stacked in your favor. And I feel like a lot of times as creatives, we often feel like the cards are stacked against our favor. We have a small chance of making it based on what a lot of people's definition of making it are. But, you know, you talk about grit and there's a, a quote that, you know, that you brought up in an article um, that I was reading that you were in. It was by Angela Duckworth. And she says that the secret to outstanding achievement is not talent, but a special blend of passion and persistence she calls grit. So talk to me about grit and what that means to you. And why do you feel like that has been one of the biggest catalysts to help you get to where you are today? Yeah, totally. I love this question because I feel like I wasn't always the brightest crayon in the box. 
<laughs> and so like, you know, when um, back in the day, like, you know, where a lot of measurements were based upon like EQ, right. It isn't always about that. Right. It's definitely all about like, how, what's, what about the hard work that you can put in? There's that other quote too, where it's like, you know, um, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. And I feel like that's really important just because it's like, if you are putting in the hours and you're putting in the hard work, you know, the, the results will surely follow. And for me, it was all about just getting really addicted to the process because it was so hard not to get attached to like the outcomes, right? Because outcomes aren't things that you can control. And for me, especially, I was just like, well, you know, at least if I put in this work, something good's going to come after it, right? If you're, sh if you're shooting for like, you know, um, the stars, you'll still get pretty far, right? If you, if, you, if you end up missing that mark. And so that's kind of the way that I looked at it was just like really falling in love with the process of it. And as cliche as it sounds, right, it's truly about the journey. And so as I was thinking about like what that success meant to me, it's like, as long as I, as I was having fun with things, then all that stuff didn't really matter. But that all had to come from like, putting in the hard work and the grit because I wasn't the brightest crayon in the box. I don't think I was the, you know, the most naturally gifted or talented, but I did want to put in the hard work to make it. And I feel like with grit, you know, those are the ones um, that end up making it um, farther because, you know, they're really like, you know, spending a lot of time just honing in on their craft, if that makes sense. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, you talk about even going back to what you said about breakdancing, learning dancing at, you know, in college and, and just finding a way to finding a way to use things as a way to connect with people. Right. And, you know, business is all about connecting and all about relationships and networking and, and, and helping other people get further. How do you feel like coming from an immigrant family and, not having all the connections in the world, how did you turn into such a connector yourself? Do you feel like because you did come from that background and you did have the cards quote unquote stacked against you in there that it pushed you to connect with people? Cause you are a master connector. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just because like, you know, I, I think about like, you know, when my family and my grandparents emigrated from Cambodia back in the seventies and, you know, I know that they didn't want us just to live average lives. And so that really didn't sink in until unfortunately my grandmother passed away um, four years ago. And so once that, you know, once that actually happened, I start to realize like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't think we're just here to just to live average lives. I think we're here to like, you know, take it to the next step, take it further. We didn't have a lot of connections starting out, you know, um, English wasn't even my first language. <laughs> um, and for my family, um, you know, we didn't really know who we were, um, you know, we didn't really know the language, didn't know who we were talking to either. And although I was born here, um, I still had to do the ESL classes growing up. And I'm also an introvert. I always like, you know, kind of like, you know, brand myself as the resident introvert. Um, because of this, I wanted to be able to to like, you know, at least to have one-to-one -one connections versus like, you know, in big group settings. And I knew that if I would just have those one-to-one -one connections, you know, those would lead to other connections that could, you know, help level up, so to speak. So yeah, I love that question because it's just like, um, I didn't have a lot of that. And I think that's what inspires me so much with the grit and everything that I want to do as well, because we didn't have a lot of that stuff growing up. So for people, you, you, you made this comment, you know, I'm not, you've not, you felt like you aren't the brightest you know, crayon in the box. Right. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, to a degree, a lot of us feel that way in some way, shape or form, but you know, you, you found a way to succeed and, and how much has this connection skill set? Cause really it is a skill set. It's not something that it's something that can be learned. 
I think too many people say, well, I'm not an extrovert, so I'm not a connector. And I, I, I think that's not, that's not true, right? How do you feel like learning a skill set of connecting has helped you propel not only your business, but also the clients that you're working with and their businesses? Yeah, totally. Well, I feel like, especially in like the entertainment industry, um, it's all about who you know. And I feel like that goes, um, it's kind of the same in business too. And, you know, when you are really thinking about like, um, I call it like the plus one concept. So, you know, you, you can definitely like reach out to some of the connections that you have already in your warm market, but the plus one concept is really reaching out to somebody that really like, you know, is kind of um, a ways out, right. Where they you know, they're well known, but you know, you go to their Instagram page, they have an email address, right? So it's like, you know, it's really putting yourself out there to make some of those connections. So in in my business, um, that's actually helped us actually reach to um, a lot of like really awesome speakers, um, a lot of really awesome artists as well. So like um, on the um, drumstick side with some of the artists that we're working with, um, we just have to really just put ourselves out there and just make that connection because some of these are like Grammy award-winning artists as well, where, you know, a lot of people would think they're like untouchable, but, you know, um, I think, you know, there's nothing wrong that could happen from at least like going forward or just asking the worst that they could say is no (laughs) or not reply to you. Um, but you know, as you are, um, building this muscle, building up the skill set, I feel like it's, it's going to come from, again, falling in love with the process of it to where, you know, you might have to reach out to like 50 people to get to that one connection that you really, really want to make. But when you're just falling in love with the process, and you're just doing this daily, you know, even if you'd reach nobody, it's fine, because you still did your 50, right? And that 50 is probably going to lead to that one that you really need, if that makes sense. You know, that whole line falling in love with the process is kind of like a line I think everybody wants to choke because, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the, the thought is good. And I think it's a, it, that is an, another skill set to learn is learning to fall in love with the process, especially with us creatives. We're so end goal focused. Like we, we, we see ourselves on the big stage or we see ourselves on the big screen or, you know, getting that billboard in Times Square, you know, or whatever the deal may be, maybe the, our art featured in a gallery that we've always dreamed of, of being in. But at the end of the day, nobody gets there without a journey. Nobody gets there without a process. And how, how have you learned to fall in love with the process? Because I think that's something that people say, but not many people talk about how they do it. And, and I think that leaves some people feeling like, well, I guess I just am not that type of person that can fall in love with the process, but I truly believe you can learn it. Yeah, totally. And I think that's such a great, um, a great thing to talk about because it's like, well, so if I break it down, I think for me, it all came down to breaking it down to a routine, right? So literally, what am I doing every single day? (laughs) So when you're really waking up every single day, looking forward to like a Monday, right? Because everyone hates Mondays. I feel like when you wake up, looking forward to a Monday, that's when you made it, but it's because you're falling in love with this process. So I actually would start with like breaking it down into like your daily routine. So what does this morning routine actually look like? Breaking it down to what are you doing for the day? And then a nighttime routine as well. So my morning routine starts the night before. So it's just like, oh, what else can I do there? And so, um, oops, sorry. And so um, when we're looking at that, Um, We basically are trying to take a look at, you know, like, what are the the elements um, there that we're trying to put together as far as like, okay, well, I need to make sure that I accomplish like these things. So it's this whole idea of standard over feelings, right? So you might wake up some days where it's just like, I don't feel like doing this, right? But then if you're holding yourself to a standard, like, okay, 
if I hold myself to the standard, I know I'm going to do it because, you know, this is the standard I'm setting for myself because it's in service to the greater vision, which is that whole end result. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having the end result in mind. I think you should have the end result in mind, like visualizing it really like picturing, like, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to go. But you have to think about, okay, what are you doing on a daily basis to hold yourself to that standard to get there? So I think a lot of um, creatives do this as well. I think athletes do this as well, where they are visualizing like, like, okay, this is exactly what this set is going to look like. Okay, this is what, you know, the walkthrough is going to look like. And um, I always use this example where it's like, picture yourself um, chewing on a lemon, right? Where, you know, you picture yourself in your room, you walk through your um, hallway, you get to the kitchen, you open up the fridge, you grab the fridge and, you know, you open up the fridge, you grab a lemon, you put the lemon on the countertop. And then you go and grab a knife, you slice it down the middle, you slice it again and again and again. And you take a slice of that lemon, you put it in your mouth. So if you felt your tongue getting sour right there, it's like why the power of visualization is so um, strong because your brain doesn't actually know the difference between what's real and what's not real. And so when you're visualizing yourself on that big stage, like picturing what your perfect day is going to look like, I think that's where it's going to really ingrain it into your, your whole body where you're going to wake up on those days where you don't feel like doing anything. But you, again, you're remembering that you're holding yourself to the standard to meet that greater vision, that end result. So I think it's all interconnected, but I think it starts with, you know, what can you do on a daily habit to quote unquote, fall in love with the process. <laughs> I love that quote, that standard over feeling that is, that is powerful. And I think so many of us creatives are driven by that feeling. That's how we're, we're wired. We are definitely an all about the feels. And so, um, you know, making sure that we understand this, you know, standard over feeling and, and, and making sure that we're, we're understanding how that standard is going to lead to the, you know, the end goal. That's, that's, uh, I, I love that. I'm definitely going to steal it. So thanks yes. for that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Now, I know that, you know, you have done a lot of work in e-commerce and you've, you've, you know, the drumstick company that you're working with and, and helping grow obviously on that side, but you've done a lot of work with, like you said, pro athletes and, you know, creative brands and such. I want to talk about the startup. Some of these, some of these creatives that are, maybe they've, they've, you know, kind of been, they've, they've launched their brand, they've launched their their platform, but they're kind of spinning in the same rut and they can't seem to get out of it. What do you find are some of the biggest hangups that keep people from that keep people really in that startup mode where they, they might increase their social media followers, but they're not increasing their revenue. They might, you know, release some new material, but they're not, they're not gaining new eyeballs on that material. What's keeping them in that spot? Yeah, totally. That's such a great question. So I feel like for me, the biggest pattern that I see is that it has to do with self-limiting beliefs and the misconception that they think they have to do more for more success. So I feel like with um, some clients that I worked with, some brands that I've worked with um, and on the creative side as well, is that, um, you know, when they're making that big leap to the next level, what they're finding is that um, they're facing like upper limit problems with themselves. <laughs> so basically, you know, when you get to a point where you realize that it's not about doing more, it's about doing less, to achieve more, it, it comes down to a lifestyle thing, which I know kind of sounds like, you know, way um, left field, <laughs> but um, it all makes sense, I promise you, because when you think about it, you know, when things are going well, like you said, like when, you know, maybe you, um, your, your following starts to get a lot greater, um, you start 
getting brand deals here left and right. Um, you know, once he starts getting some of these things, family life's going well, relationships going well, what happens is that, you know, your self-limiting beliefs um, will actually start to get triggered subconsciously. You might not even know that it's happening to you, but because, you know, your subconscious feels like, oh gosh, this is a lot of new success. I don't know if I'm worthy of this success, right? Your, your subconscious is actually going to start um, finding ways to trigger self-sabotaging um, habits where some of these self-sabotaging actions are being taken to actually bring you back to a point where you were suffering because that's, what's familiar. That's what you were used to. You were worse to this. You were, you were used to the struggle you know, getting to where you are now. So I feel like once you get to that point where you feel like you're plateauing, um, you know, the biggest thing here is to realize like, okay, what is my upper limit problem here? What am I faced with as far as like, you know, um, what am I about to do that's, you know, going to self-sabotage and like why, where you might not see it yet. Um, it's not about working more. It's not about, do, you know, doing the hustle, you know, you know, getting more into the hustle, but finding ways uh, of things that you can optimize. So it's like, are there other connections that I can start to make, right? Maybe the, some of the brand deals or some of the connections that you're working with are just in your comfort zone. Your comfort zone is totally the danger zone. You need to find, you know, ways to actually, you know, pull yourself out of that comfort zone, which I know sounds interesting for some people because, you know, you actually have to go out and actively seek places where you can be uncomfortable. So, you know, I would start by, you know, putting out like a dream list. Like these are the brands I want to work with. These are the deals that I want to get, or these are the stages I want to be on. And then actually figure out ways that you can get there. Right. And then go back to that plus one concept. It's like, okay, who do I know that can be connected to any of these um, things here on this list, right? Or maybe it's like a certain venue you want to play at or, or, or work with. Uh, maybe you need to, you know, get in touch with whoever's like running the show there and then figure out who do you know that's connected to that person and start to get creative to make some of those connections. So long answer to your question, but I feel like when you're plateauing, you really have to find ways to get uncomfortable again. I love that because um, I'm a big John Maxwell fan, of course, been a part of the John Maxwell team for a number of years. And, and in his book, The 15 Valuable Laws of Growth and the Law of Pain, he talks about, you know, that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And, you know, he even talks about the, the, in the law of the rubber band, how, how, um, you know, the rubber band doesn't become valuable until it becomes stretched. If it's just sitting there in its, you know, docile state, just kind of relaxed, that's not what the value of the rubber band comes from. It's not until it becomes stretched that it becomes valuable. And I think we also have to realize that being stretched is uncomfortable, um, but that's really where life begins to get interesting. Um, so I love the fact that you brought that up. Now, you know, I know that we've talked about, you know, getting unstuck or getting out of this rut. I think the other thing that a lot of, creatives really don't understand very well is this, this nature of sales and marketing. Um, and you, you brought this up doing more doesn't necessarily mean more success. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to dancers or singers or art, you know, musicians, they're constantly posting on TikTok. They're constantly posting on Instagram. They're, they're, they're content rich and they can't figure out why they're not growing their platform because we keep hearing things from people like Gary Vee that content is king, which I don't disagree with, but there's missing elements. What are those missing elements that you often see that creatives are not engaging in and that's not getting them the results they want? 
Yeah, totally. Well, I think you said it right there. I think it's totally the engaging part. So um, I think, yeah, I totally agree. I think content is like a huge part of it. Um, so that's number one, you have to at least first be doing that. <laughs> but you know, you can't just create content and expect the deals and expect the, the opportunities to come to you. So even though you do the content, right, think of it as like, you know, um, Think of it as like, you know, kind of like your visual resume, so to speak, um, because people are going to land on your socials. They're going to land on your pages and check you out. Um, I think it's also important to also engage with those people, too. So if there are people that are, you know, commenting on your content, you know, reply to their comments and actually go hit them up in the DMs. Right. Same thing with the likes. Right. Even if you're some of your content is getting like, you know, hundreds or thousands of likes, that's like hundreds of thousands of potential leads for you. Right. So I would actually go through and check out some of those contacts where, you know, some of them might just be like fans. Right. They could just be like or other creators that I just love, you know, love your content. But you, and that you never know, you might stumble upon, you know, some of those that are like, you know, the, the real gatekeepers or the real people that hold the opportunities for you. And I would start to build a relationship with them. So um, even like, you know, when you look at uh, Clubhouse and some of these other new um, social platforms there, you, have to, you should really pay attention to who's showing up to your rooms and who's actually taking a look at your content, because these are already eyeballs on your page. But I call them POCs, which are points of contact. So I always recommend, again, if you have to talk to 50 people a day to like, you know, get to that one person, maybe you hit up 50 people or, you know, do 50 points of contact to get to that one person. So that's where you actually have to go actively seek out the opportunities and you can't just expect them all to come to you. Um, because, uh, you know, even though you're putting out really great content, there might be those one or two people that will reach out to you, but you can't always bank on that. You know, you can essentially take control into your own hands and be the one to make some of those contacts. So I think that, um, you know, there is definitely power behind like, you know, actively going out and doing sales, because even though you might not be selling a product or service, you're still totally selling yourself as your personal brand. So I think that's really important. And I think sales and marketing go hand in hand. So sales being the actual part where you're actually going and doing active and outbound um, points of contact, and then marketing being where you are actually just putting your content out there, um, you know, going live, doing your, you know, your TikToks, your reels, all that stuff as well. So there's a balance, but I think you need to have both. <laughs> so... <laughs> How do you encourage some of these uh, creatives that might get overwhelmed? They're just trying to do all the things and they don't know where all the things happen. I know for myself, if I'm looking at 50 things uh, that I need to do, and probably 45 of them are things I don't even like doing. Um, so I see all the things I need to do. I don't know where to start to see what's going to get me the most bang for my buck, the most most ROI. I get overwhelmed and all of a sudden I find myself scrolling on Instagram, right? And just burning and wasting a bunch of time. So how do you coach your clients on what they should focus on and how to not get overwhelmed with all the things? Yeah, totally. So I know that this can be a bit tough, especially when you're first starting out and doing all the things by yourself. So before you can even hire a team, right? Obviously hiring a team is the goal. That's the end goal. But I feel like where you start first is by prioritizing. Um, and the best way to prioritize, I would make sure that has like these three criteria. So the first criteria, making sure like you understand, okay, so if this is um, one of the activities that you have to do, what is the goal of it? Number two, what is the intention of it? And then number three, think about what is the ROI of it? So that return on an, an investment, right? So, you know, the, the, the investment you might be making 
obviously it's going to be your time, but it could be, you know, money or something like that as well. So when you're analyzing the three criteria for each activity, that's going to help you prioritize on what's most important first. So obviously content creation could be number one, you know, the actual sales and outbound reach out is number two. Once you make the, you know, once you make out your priorities list, um, then I would actually go back and circle back to that dream list I told you about, right? Where you're thinking about like, okay, these are the dream like stages I want to be on or the dream deals that I want to get. And then actually being really, really intentional about like, how do you actually go and make those things happen? So I always like to start with the end goal in mind and then kind of working backwards and kind of just like reverse engineering, like how do I actually make this thing work? But um, definitely start with prioritizing first. So that way you're not spending all of your time doing all of the things and going into that endless scroll. Um, because I feel like, you know, once you start consuming content, it just never ends. <laughs> but again, going so back true, it's a rabbit hole. Exactly, right. <laughs> but going back to the whole idea of standard over feelings, right? So if you accomplish three of the things on your list, you know, that's still a great day, even though you probably still have like 25 things left on your list, right? So yeah, I um the other question that I have is is the other thing that people get hung up on is like, I don't like to do this, right? So they maybe they're great at the sales part, but they don't like the marketing part, right? Maybe they're good at the content creation part. And I feel like this is more and more the case, especially with creatives. They're great at creating their stuff, right? But they're terrible about selling themselves. A lot of that has to do with self-worth issues, limiting beliefs, like you were talking about, right? So what they have a tendency to do is do what they like and procrastinate on what they don't like. So how does one break through that and stop using the excuse, well, I'm not good at that. So I just, I, I'm, I'm going to wait to find somebody to do that for me, or, you know, I'll get to it because again, the more you put it off, the more, you know, it's not going to happen. So how do you break through that? Yeah, totally. So like, I love the idea of just taking imperfect action because I feel like, you know, when you're taking imperfect action, you are, you know, you're just, you're just putting it out there. And then like, I would actually mean make it a challenge where it's like, okay, you have to get it done and not like come back to it, <laughs> especially, you know, if that's something that holds you back. But I would start actually with, um, you know, when you wake up first, first thing during the day, I actually would. So personally, this is what I do as well. I actually start off my first two hours with a task that I absolutely hate doing. That's when you have the most energy. And that's actually the, you know, the most time or the best time where you can just knock those things out. Because if you love content creation, that's probably, you know, you want to schedule that maybe after you do the things that you don't like doing and kind of looking at it as a reward. So I call these like stupid human tricks because what you're trying to do is hack your brain and that good intention of your brain, even though you have good intention, you still have to do these little stupid human tricks to hack it <laughs> because your brain will always choose the path of least resistance. It's always going to choose what feels familiar, what feels comfortable, what you want to do. And then it's actually going to start creating excuses that you were talking about, Jesse, about like how, you know, I'm not good at it. I'm, I'm just going to put it off, right? This is your brain doing all of that, right? When all of us have that power inside of us, I know as cliche as it sounds, right? But we just have to hack that, um, hack the brain of ours. And then once we get past that, by doing like, you know, the, the activities you don't like doing first thing in the morning, you know, the rest of it's still going to start opening up, right? And then obviously, um, I think it's like, it takes 21 days to build a habit. The more that you can do this, the more you're starting to build like these high performance habits, right? And I know that as creatives, this is one of those things where it's like, okay, you kind of have to lead up to it. I would start with one thing, right? One thing that challenges you or one thing that you really don't like doing. 
and just try to do it every single morning for like a week and see how that goes. And then once you do that for a week and, you know, see how it feels at that point, maybe you can add on another task that you don't really like doing. And then obviously after you start getting traction from this, you'll start to see the results and the, the results might be those opportunities finally, you know, like um, opening up for you. And then, then at that point, then you can kind of like look towards building the team and then starting to like, you know, delegate some of those things that you don't like doing. But obviously for now, you kind of have to start somewhere um, until you can get to that point where you can start building that team around you. So I know that you are currently working with um, Collision Drumsticks. They have a mastermind program and, and a coaching program that's helping musicians really build a platform. And I love what you guys are doing because, um, you know, obviously 2020 was rough on a lot of people, but particularly people in the performing arts, especially ones that live on, lived on live performances or, you know, those kinds of things. And even though the virtual world has been around and people have dabbled in it, I really feel like the entertainment industry has kind of been behind the curve on some of that stuff because they've just been comfortable with what they're used to. But what are some of the things that you're seeing now that most creatives are, are not tapping into that actually the virtual world has really opened up and has, in my opinion, lowered the barrier of entry for a lot of folks and, and what should be some opportunities that, that creatives are paying attention to and should be diving into that you're seeing a lot of them aren't, aren't seizing yet. Yeah, totally. Um, so I feel like um, the number one thing is obviously with the, the whole brand, the, with brand deals, right? And like the whole influencer thing, right? And I use that that term very loosely because I feel like everybody is an influencer in their own way. <laughs> um, but I feel like that's something that some of the artists and musicians that we work with actually in, in, the, in the brand, um, they haven't really tapped into quite yet. And it's because they don't, again, the whole self-worth issues, all these self-limiting beliefs, you know, they're thinking like, oh, I'm not an influencer. And it's like, actually, you know, you kind of are because, you know, you've been playing your craft for so long and you know people actually respect you you with what you do really tapping into that because all they're doing you know with some of the creators that we're working with now they're creating a lot of content but they're really not tapping into the way to monetize it so as you're taking the world stage of the internet right um there's a lot out there um, and this is where you can actually build um build up and collaborate with other artists all around the world so that's been a huge thing that i haven't really i've seen it catch on a little bit more as uh, obviously as time goes on but um, I think that's definitely the number one thing is like really tapping into the power of those collaborations and just asking for those opportunities because there's nothing wrong that you know, that could happen from just at least asking for it, right? Again, like the worst thing that we could do is say no. Um, and then the other thing too is like, as you're starting to grow online, make sure that you are also building up an email list, right? So I think this is really important. I think um, on the business side, they do this very well, but creatives aren't really doing this as much because I've worked with some influencers that have had like, you know, five, 10 million followers on TikTok that have completely lost their accounts, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, um, there's no way to like, you know, keep in touch with that audience. So like, what if TikTok were to disappear tomorrow or Instagram were to disappear tomorrow? You still want a way to keep in touch with your fans. So I think building up an email list is free to do so you can find some websites that do it um I think like MailerLite or MailChimp or something like that. But that's a great way for you to start building um, a way to keep in touch with your audience. And you own that list. It's not like it's just your followers on Instagram or TikTok, right? Um, you own it. Um, so it's a great way for you to keep in touch with them. 
Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. Um, you know, the email list is something that's underutilized in in our space a lot of times. And uh, yeah, I know personally some people that have lost their social media accounts completely, and it drives them nuts because that's their only way of communicating with their with their people. So Michael Hyatt once said something that really impacted me a long time ago. He says he says never build your castle on somebody else's property. And I thought, man, is that super powerful? And he was talking about social media, talking about all these brands and, and, you know, influencers and, and people alike that are, are building all of their influence on social media and don't have their own website or funnel. At least they also didn't have an email list. And so one fail swoop, if, if, Zuckerberg decides to make a decision tomorrow that he doesn't like X kinds of counts that he could just wipe out so many people's entire business with one fail swoop. So don't ever build your uh, castle on somebody else's real estate. I think that's that's super powerful. So Monique, this this conversation, you and I could chat a, a ton, um, but I, I just want to ask, what what are you super excited about right now? What are some projects that you're working on? Because I know that you're doing a lot um, around helping people really have the business and the brands that they've always dreamed of having. So what are some of the projects that you're working on right now that you're super excited about? Yeah, of course. So I, I obviously number one would be with Collision Drumsticks. Um, I've been with them um, for almost two years now, and I'm just super excited because obviously like, you know, with the live music industry taking a huge hit last year, um, since we started the mastermind and the membership program, it's been so awesome to see some of these artists like really take it to the next level and make music their full-time thing, which has been so cool to see. Um, there's one artist in particular, I just want to share um, as an example, like he basically started out, um, obviously when you know he was making a lot of his side income through live shows and since there were no more gigs he then found a way to just like you know get really good at production work and production he didn't know that he loved it so much but it was totally like in his zone of genius where he gets lost in that flow state where you look at the clock and it's like oh my gosh like hours have gone by and it's like you know when you find out what that is for you you know, and you find a way to monetize that you it's golden because, you know, once you can find a ways, you know, to, to monetize that, you know, you're always going to be um, enjoying, you know, what you do for a living, um, really being fulfilled and everything. And so now he's started his own production company. He has like 30 of his own clients that he got in like a month. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like super excited about that. There's another artist who actually, um, he decided that he's going to be leaving his full-time job as well. And he's going to be, um, he's going to actually build drums and like, you know, play, play shows and actually build drums and do like his own e-commerce thing too. So that's been pretty cool. Um, and then obviously like, so, so that's been pretty awesome, like working with our artists on that and just seeing the transformations there, but also too, with um, some of the speakers that I've been representing as well. So I love the whole idea of just like being able to impact one to many, kind of like what you're doing here with this podcast, just being able to reach so many more people and just having that impact and creating that footprint for people. Um, and I've been loving doing that with um, some of the speakers that I represent, um, just being able to get some of them um, placed on stages as well. But again, it has to do with, uh, you know, creating those connections, building those relationships. And I'm loving it because I'm just getting paid to hang out with people basically. So <laughs> it's been awesome. <laughs> No, I love that. I love that. I think one of the coolest things about you, um, and and also we've had the privilege of of interviewing Carlton on this podcast. One of the things I love about you guys is that you are excited about what 
other people um, are doing, how they're winning. And it's definitely a testimony to why your brands are doing so well um, because you genuinely care about your people. You genuinely care about their uh, success and it, and it definitely shows. So Monique, I just want to say thank you so much for this time. There was a ton of gems that you dropped during this interview. And uh, I'm just super excited for what you guys have going on at Collision and for the other brands that you're working on and, and, and helping grow as well. Um, and just big props to you guys for all that you're doing. Yay. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a privilege, such an honor. And I had a blast. Like this has been such a great conversation. <laughs> if people want to connect more with you, um, before I forget, wh where can they find you? How can they connect with you? What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, totally. So my website is moniquesar.com. Um, but I hang out mostly on Instagram. So my handle is at moniquesar.boss. Awesome. Awesome. We'll make sure and put that in the show notes so that people can connect with you further. And uh, again, just thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook, and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.